to That's Orgasmic. You are joined by your host Emily Duncan and today we're talking about contraception. We're talking about a whole heap of methods for those with uteruses and also for those with penises. We're going to be talking about how they work and also answering your questions that you sent in. Some of these questions include, can I skip my period every time I'm on the pill? Do I even need my period? How do I know if my hormonal balance is right when taking hormonal contraception? What are the long-term impacts of using hormonal contraception for 15 years of my life? And can that impact my fertility? Now, if these are questions that interest you, Please keep listening, Shaggers. Welcome back to the show, Shaggers. Today I'm here with Karen Freilich to discuss contraception. Karen is a GP registrar. So thank you for coming on to the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. This is my favorite topic to talk about. So any excuse, really. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm super excited about this today too. So can you please like just introduce yourself a little bit and your background? Sure thing. So I'm a GP registrar, otherwise known as a trainee GP or a junior doctor, and I've got a particular interest in sexual and reproductive health. So I've you know, just finished a master's of sexual and reproductive health up in the UK last year. Really, really loved it and hoping to continue doing research in this area. I've got a particular interest in contraception and abortion, and I also run a little medical education podcast called Humorous Hacks. So love trying to make complex medical topics seem a lot more palatable and understandable. Yeah, that's awesome. What made you interested in sexual health and contraception? Yeah, well, I think I got really interested when I started medical school, which was when I was 19 years old at the time. I was, you know, a a young female with really heavy, painful periods, acne, and, you know, obviously looking into contraception for, um, you know, for those reasons as well. And then when I was in medical school, I was learning about all these other options that no one had ever told me about, you know, things like the Marina, the Implanon, and the only thing I ever knew was the pill. So I thought that it's, you know, quite interesting that, you know, me as a young medical student, the only way I knew about it was through medical school. And I just wish that more people knew about it. So then I started speaking to people about it. The more I spoke about it, the more I got excited about it. Um, And then I guess one thing led to the other. And now it's, you know, a decade down the track and it's still all I'm talking about. (laughs) Now, what forms of contraception do we have available? Like just going to the basics. Yeah, sure. So we have quite a lot of contraceptive methods available. And I think the way I like to do it is to categorize it. So I categorize it into short, medium and long-term methods, right? So, and actually I'll add a fourth one there, permanent methods as well. So how quick do they work? So short-acting methods are things like condoms. Um, Obviously, the categories aren't concrete and different people categorise things different ways. But condoms, things like withdrawal or fertility awareness-based methods are kind of short-term things. Then you have more medium-term things. So the pill is a classic medium-term. Depo-Provera, so the three-month injection, also a medium-term. And then long-term methods are classically a LARC, which is long-acting reversible contraception. So LARC includes the intrauterine device, so Marina or copper IUD, and the Implanon or contraceptive implant. 
Those are classically your larks. And then finally, you have your permanent methods, so things like tubal ligation and vasectomy. Now, there are a lot of other methods as well, but those are kind of your stock standard basics. Yeah, there's a lot of different options, which is probably mm-hmm. a good thing because every, everyone has like a different bodies and what they want to do. I would love to start with like the more natural approaches first, so like the fertility awareness method. Mm-hmm. Are you able to just explain like what that is in case no one's heard of it and how effective that is, I guess. Absolutely. Um, before we dig into any of the message, uh, sorry, before we dig into any of the contraceptive methods, I'd love to give yeah. a bit of an overview and disclaimer first. Yeah, so first and foremost, when we're talking about contraception in this particular discussion, we're very much talking about preventing a pregnancy. So we're talking about egg and sperm sex. We're talking about penis and vagina sex. Often these conversations are very um, heteronormative, but obviously lots of different people are at risk of these. So in this discussion, you know, I'll, into, I'll, I'll use women, but I'll also use anyone with a uterus or anyone with a penis, but bearing that in mind as we have this discussion throughout. The other thing that I really want to emphasize, and I think this is a really important disclaimer to say really early on, is that contraception has a very complex and often dark history. There's a lot of colonial origins in contraception. There's a lot of basis in racial hierarchies and also population control so it's always important throughout this so I think what we'll try to do today is provide an overview of all this but remembering this is a really complex topic and very political and very loaded as well now you want to start with the natural methods first and foremost before talking about the natural methods I personally uh like to firstly debunk the whole concept of what is natural Yeah. So before going straight into, well, you know, fertility awareness-based methods or withdrawal, I want to first talk about the whole concept of natural, right? Because the concept of natural when it comes to contraception is is a misnomer. It's a very hot word at the moment. You know, we talk about organic, we talk about, you know, what our bodies are meant to be doing. We love, we love, love the idea of natural, but the whole idea of natural in and of itself – I would argue it isn't really necessarily real. And I'm going to give you my rationale for that. So in all of history, really up until the past century or two, anyone with a uterus um, basically had babies all the time, pregnancies all the time, and breastfeeding all the time. So the average age that a woman or anyone with a uterus would have um, menarche, so their first period, was on average age 16, Right. Menopause was always the same, which is (laughs) 51.5, always on average. Now, in that time, historically, uh, what would happen is, uh, you know, someone would get their period and then over the course of their reproductive years, they would have, you know, on average eight, nine pregnancies. They'd breastfeed for months, if not years, a lot more neonatal deaths, a lot more stillbirths, a lot more miscarriages. So overall, throughout this whole time, women are having a lot more babies and they're having a lot less periods. So historically, women had around 100 periods in their whole lifetime, right? Yeah. Flash forward to modernity. So the modern average, you know, sorry, the average modern Western woman now has their period at age 12. So menarche, the age of your first period is a lot earlier. Why? Probably having better diets now, lots of different reasons for that. Um, <laughs> a lot of malnourishment in history. <laughs> yeah, yeah I can imagine. Still having, <laughs> we're still having menopause at the same age, so 51.5. Now, 
depending on the country you look at, the average person is having kind of two to three kids, you know, sometimes it's as low as 1.5 and other times it's, you know, a bit higher than that as well. Breastfeeding for much, much shorter periods of time than we used to. So on average, we're now having kind of 350 to 400 periods in our lifetime because wow. instead of, yeah, so instead of having pregnancy all the time and breastfeeding all the time, instead we're, you know, you get someone who has their first period at age 12, maybe they'll have the first kid at age 30. That is, if my math is correct, 18 years of periods, whereas historically that didn't really happen, did it? Yeah, yeah. Right? I know. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. yeah that is really so, fascinating to think about. <laughs> I know. I know. So we love this whole idea of what's natural, what's natural, but actually in modernity, um, you know, that that's changed a lot. Now, why is this relevant? It's relevant for a lot of reasons. So, you know, one would argue that having eight, nine, 12 pregnancies in your life is a whole lot more dangerous. And pregnancy is, of course, the most dangerous time in a woman's life. But also having periods and having too many periods on and of itself can be for lack of a better word, it does carry some risks as well. So the most obvious is that when you're bleeding every month, you're losing blood. So you can become anemic, so you can lose blood, and you can also lose iron as well. So people can get very tired from iron deficiency as well as, you know, anemic as well. It can cause a lot of distress having painful periods. It can also cause a lot of pain, days off work. So there's a lot of aspects of that. Now, and this is a big discussion as well, so I'll try to summarise it, but there's also a lot of evidence to say that having more periods means you're having more cell division in your gynecological system. So having more cell division in your ovaries and in your uterus overall. What does more cell division mean? It means that the more cells divide, the more likely that cell division can not work in the way that it's meant to. Basically, that means that more cell division can increase the risk of things like endometrial cancer and ovarian cancer, right? Wow, yeah. Yeah. So probably the best way to explain that, and I'm really going on a tangent here, but I hope it is relevant. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll this bring is it back so relevant. I promise it is. <laughs> I promise it is. Is if you're in the sun all the time and the sun is beating down in your arm and you're constantly burning your arm, the skin in your arm will have damage and you'll need cell division, right? So the more cell division you have, the more likely you are to get skin cancer. You're smoking a lot, you're damaging your lung cells, the more likely you are to get lung cancer. More likely you drink, you damage your liver cells, it's liver cancer. Do you get what I'm saying here? Yeah, no, I so, do, I do, yeah. So, yeah. so actually this whole concept of what is natural, we're actually having three to four times the amount of periods that we used to have historically and this can increase the risk of ovarian and endometrial cancer. Now, now. It isn't as clear as this, and this is when it does get complex. And, of course, this is a much broader discussion that I'm oversimplifying. But contraception, hormonal contraception, for example, the pill, leads to a 30% lower risk of endometrial and ovarian cancer, right? Now, it's saying that some hormonal contraception can lead to a tiny increase in breast cancer, and there are risks associated with contraception overall. The reason I give this whole background, and I think this is a really important way to start, is that we have a concept that having a period is natural and healthy and normal, and we are very scared of hormones as a society. And I think it is my role, um, you know, as somebody who's passionate in this area to say, well, hold on a second, the whole concept of natural and hormones is a totally new phenomenon, and actually we need to reevaluate what we know about this area. 
Yeah. And that's my wow. intro spiel. <laughs> right. That was so much in that. Literally so much. So, like, is it a bad thing then that we're having more periods? Like, should we be wanting to have less if historically we, you know, weren't having this many, these many, this many periods? <laughs> so it's a really, really complex question. So... I guess the crux of it, it is perfectly safe to not have periods. And for many people, it's safer to not have periods, especially when it leads to anemia, to iron deficiency, to pain, to the poor consequences that periods have. And it can be protective to have less periods. Absolutely. So I, I really do like to debunk the whole myth that we need periods and periods are quote unquote healthy. Yeah, that is my mind is literally just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so then I'm kind of like jumping ahead here. For those who, like, I myself try and skip my period as many times as I can because I generally do not enjoy mm-hmm. the experience of having yeah. my period. <laughs> is there a problem, like, with that then? Like, can I skip it as many times as I want on the pill and it not be an issue? Absolutely. That's totally fine to stop your period on the pill. So the period on the pill is a fake period. It's not a real period. It's a withdrawal bleed. So actually getting your period on the pill doesn't necessarily mean you're not pregnant. Um, It's a fake period. So the reason when they were kind of quote unquote inventing the pill, they put in the period as a way to appease the Catholic Church and to reassure women. They thought that people would feel a lot better about the pill if they put a period in it, but there's actually no reason to get a period. Now, in saying that, if people take the pill nonstop and they get a lot of breakthrough bleeding, that is, uh, it is important then to to give yourself a period because then, you know, it's basically saying that you you need a period because you're having some breakthrough bleeding, but perfectly safe to skip. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting. I remember in high school it used to be such a big, like, debate. Can you skip your period? And, like, people, like, so many of my friends are literally afraid to skip it because they think it's a it's a bad thing and that they need to have their period. And mm, does that yeah, mean... a lot of misinformation about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And does that mean if it's fake and we say we um got pregnant during that time on a pill, if it's a fake period, does that mean we could still have that even if we were pregnant? Yeah, yeah. So you can, um, I've, I've seen it happen. It can definitely happen. So you can bleed when taking the pill and being pregnant. Absolutely. So it's a, it's a yeah. false reassurance. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well. Now, I, yeah. I should mention all this, all this negative talk about periods. Some people absolutely love getting their periods and that's totally yeah. fine. For some people, they feel really connected to their periods. It's a really important part of, you know, connecting with their body. And, you know, that that's great. And for other people, they absolutely hate getting periods. So there is a lot of stigma about around periods, really every corner of the world. So I do yeah, definitely. I do want to really emphasize that periods are still a very normal part of having a uterus. Um, they're very different for everyone, but it is important to reduce to reduce stigma around periods. We still do need to do things like having, um, you know, menstrual leave, uh, you know, in the same way as sick leave. We still need to mm-hmm. get rid of the tampon tax. These things are still important, but it's yeah, important definitely. that we have a nuanced discussion about periods, hey? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so back to what we were talking about, the fertility mm-hmm. awareness method. Are you able to oh, yes, yeah, explain that. that and, yeah, what that is really for, people, for yeah, any shaggers out there that don't know? Sure. So the fertility awareness-based methods are – uh, they're a group of methods. So there's a whole big group of them, which basically 
use the concept of being kind of conscious of your cycle and how your cycle works in order to um, avoid a pregnancy. So fertility awareness-based methods are used for multiple different things. So there's apps, so fertility tracking apps, which are really popular now. There's things like the Billings method, there's temperature checking methods, there's mucus checking methods, there's calendar methods, a whole bunch of them. Some people use them to try and get pregnant, some people use them to try and not get pregnant, and some people use them to just see what's going on and they want to really just be in touch with their cycle. Now, on average, they're about 76% effective. Now, that's not particularly effective, but for some people, that's an acceptable risk. So not everyone is desperate to avoid pregnancies. Some people are ambivalent and some people, you know, for them, it, it is really important. Um, it is important for them to use a method like this, but just being aware that they aren't the most effective methods out there, but that doesn't mean they don't play a role. So on average, how they work is if the average person has a 28-day cycle, um, the middle of that cycle is when you're ovulating and there's around a seven-day seven window in which you could get pregnant. So when an egg is released, it lives for about 12 to 24 hours after ovulation and sperm lives for about six days after sex. So kind of a seven-day window in which you can get pregnant. And then on those days, it's kind of encouraged to either avoid sex or use condoms or use a different method like withdrawal. And then on the other days, um, you can, you know, have sex safely. Um, pros and cons, you know, some people absolutely love it and swear by it. And, you know, that's fine as long as, you know, the whole point of contraception is that you have options and find one that works for you. But one of the important things to note is that not everyone has a 28-day cycle. Not everyone has a regular cycle. And your cycle can be affected really easily by things like sleep, stress. And you might not know about that until your next cycle happens. So, it's, it's not a foolproof method and it does carry mm -hmm. risks, but for some people those risks are acceptable and worth it. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I've never thought about taking that approach. I suppose that for me it was just like too, almost nearly too risky because it's all put on me then, like the responsibility, like not just taking a pill mm -hmm. or having the implant on in, like it's a lot more being aware, which... I'm so hopeless with them. I don't know if like I would be capable. Um, one of the one well, of the shaggers. Oh yeah, you go. Oh no, I was going to say. Well, well, that's it. Is that it's a method that you know might work really well for someone with a 28 day cycle with a very good routine. So, for example, I'm a shift worker, so I'll I'll do night shifts and evening shifts, and my cycles all over. You know, my my so my schedules all over the place. Um, so you know, for me, it, it wouldn't necessarily work. Um, I wouldn't recommend it for anyone who, for who getting pregnant would be the worst thing in the world. So if someone mm -hmm. absolutely wants to avoid pregnancy, you know, it's not worth it. Um, but if someone says, look, they, they are aware of the risks and they have a very good schedule, then it might be the right one for them. Again, all of this is about having options. Yeah, exactly. One of the um, shaggers wrote in and asked about the Billings method. Now, I'd never heard of this. How can we, like, how does it work being able to like look at your discharge and work out where you yeah, are in your yeah. cycle? <laughs> so it's, it's a really, really, really good question. So overall the Billings method is one of the fertility awareness-based methods. So it is, you know, you know, I'm in the same category. So the effectiveness probably is around 70 to you know 75%. Um, and I think if I'm not mistaken, I think Billings was invented in Australia I think it was, but I should I should figure that out. Um, yeah. yeah, there is a lot of controversy around it. Oh yeah, no, it is definitely is Australian actually. Um, 
for some people, again, they swear by it. For some people, it doesn't work. There is a lot of controversy around it. I think it's also a method that's been um, pushed by uh, some, you know, religious organisations as well because it is, mm-hmm. quote, unquote, more natural. Yeah. Um, again, you know, <laughs> we can we can always argue about what natural means. Um, uh, but, you know, it's definitely better than not using any contraception, but it's not a foolproof method. And, again, no contraception is a foolproof method. Yeah, exactly. Before we jump into hormonal birth control, I'd love to talk about men yep. for a second. Sure. Um, what is it like? What contraception is available for men, and should we be mm-hmm. looking at men using contraception more? Because I feel like it's all very women focused, or like those who have uteruses. Like it, the, it's like the pressure's put onto us. Like the men can kind of just walk away and like not have to worry about it. Yes, this is a this is an ongoing drama, and it is uh, it is brutal to think that the pressure of avoiding pregnancy falls on the people who can get pregnant. Um, it is extremely frustrating. There are some, I guess, you know, sperm based or penis based methods. So condoms, um, you know, which we all know about, um, can be very effective, but also kind of can be as low as 88% effective, but still obviously the only thing that really works against SDI. So still an important thing to use. Um, Some people argue that withdrawal is more of a quote-unquote male method. So withdrawal kind of 80 to 95% effective, but again, not entirely. There's a lot of pre-ejaculate or pre-cum, which means that it might not work. Um, Also, people are notoriously not very good at doing it. but it is definitely a method out there. And then probably the most important, again, male-based method is a vasectomy. Um, so vasectomies, otherwise known as a SNP, they are permanent methods. Um, they can be reversed but can't always be reversed. So you try to rely on it as a permanent method. I reckon vasectomy is one of the best methods on the market and it is underutilised by a mile. It's 99.5% effective. It's simple. It's safe. You can get the procedure awake or asleep. It doesn't change your sex drive. It doesn't change orgasm. It has minimal side effects whatsoever. The procedure is so quick and easy. Um, And I highly encourage anyone who doesn't want any kids in the future or wants a permanent method to consider vasectomy. Now, there's a lot of other male methods in the market, like injections and pills, but none of them are, well, sorry, I said in the market, there's a lot of other male based or penis-based contraceptive methods in in production um, and having research about them, but none of them are in the market. None of them are are approved. And I think every couple of years there's an article saying, almost, almost there, but hasn't happened yet. But fingers crossed it will. Now, with hormonal contraception, I know Mm -hmm. myself, like I started it when I was 15. I have been on it ever since from the pill to the implanon to both at the same time. And it's been like, I don't know, six years or more of being on that. And I know a lot of other people are the same where you start on it and you just kind of stick with it because it's one, like what you know, and generally you become more sexually sexually active and, you know, trying to, I suppose, like take, take precautions in that area. Are there any long-term side effects of using hormonal birth control for such a long period of time? It's a really, really good question um, and, you know, it's, it's a complex answer. And I will start with this and it needs to be emphasised that the most, the most dangerous time in a woman's life or the life of anyone with a uterus is being pregnant. 
being pregnant is the and giving birth is the most dangerous thing that you can do. Yeah. Now, the pill, and I think when we talk about hormonal contraception, I think you were mostly referring to the pill, but we can talk about the other um, methods. Yeah, I'd love to talk about them. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, The pill definitely carries some risks. Um, And I will emphasize that every medication under the sun carries risk Mm -hmm. and pregnancy does carry more risks than any contraceptive method. Pregnancy is the most dangerous. (laughs) I can't emphasize that enough. Um, So the pill works with two hormones, so estrogen and progestogen. Um, There's lots and lots of different combos, lots of different types of pills out there. Overall, they are very safe, safe, safe tablets, but there are some contraindications, so some reasons why you can't take the pill. So classically, if you have a migraine, especially a migraine with an aura, so things like visual changes before your migraine, can't be on the pill. If you have high blood pressure, you can't be on the pill. If you have a very high BMI, um, people who are smokers and above the age of 35, and there is a very, very small increase in the risk of of breast cancer when taking the pill, so being really conscious of the history of breast cancer. The pill can increase the risk of blood clots. So blood clots is very topical at the moment when we're talking about vaccines. Again, the risk of blood clot is much higher in pregnancy than the pill. Also has a slight increase in the risk of heart attacks, strokes as well. So it's not without risk. I actually saw a great TikTok just earlier today um, making fun of the long list of (laughs) the pill um, side effects in relation to the vaccine side effects. Again, very topical at the moment. Yep. So... In saying that, in saying that, in saying that, every medication has side effects and it's just being aware of the risks and knowing your own personal medical history and family history and, and chatting to your local friendly GP about all this. Yeah. Can it impact fertility when you've been on it for such a long time? No. So it will not. Uh, contraception yeah. does not affect fertility. Uh, there's a lot of fear that it does. Mm-hmm. Um, so for LARC, long-acting reversible contraception, when you stop the methods, you can get pregnant straight away. For the pills, sometimes it takes a few weeks, maybe a couple months for it to get back. Depo-Provera, the injection, can sometimes uh, delay fertility just a little bit, maybe a couple months. Uh, but for the most part, no, it does not affect fertility. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like there's a common misconception that it can have that impact. I know like a lot of, um, especially like in our 20s, like, oh, how is this going to impact us? Like if we do try and get pregnant, like, is that going to be possible? Like, especially because there seems to be a lot more, I don't know if it's just like the awareness that's being brought to like infertility and like IVF, like Mm. he adds on it, like on the radio. So it seems like it's quite like a, it appears to be like a prevalent issue that a lot of people are um, facing. So then it's interesting to see like how, if, if like um, contraception did interact with that. So it's good to know that it doesn't, yeah. doesn't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, is there any, out of like all of the hormonal birth controls, is there mm-hmm. one that has the least amount of side effects? So, um, perhaps a good way to start that is I can give an overview of LARC, so long-acting yes. reversible contraception, yes, which, which are hormonal. I think that's probably a good way to start. Um, so why don't I start with the Implanon? The yeah. Implanon, which is the contraceptive implant, we often speak about the rod, and that's the one mm-hmm. that sits in your arm. It's got one hormone, so progesterone, um, and it's 
basically this tiny little plastic rug. You just put it in under your arm. Sometimes I make a joke when I demonstrate it. I flex my muscles and I show it's under my muscle. I don't have very many muscles, so it's a, it's a terrible joke. <laughs> um, sorry to all the listeners out there. But it's 99.9% effective, so it's incredibly effective. It lasts for three years. And basically, it stops your ovaries from releasing an egg every month. It's a great method. So in terms of side effects with the Implanon, it affects periods differently for everyone. Some people get no periods, some people get normal periods, and some people get heavy, irregular periods. Usually for the first couple of months, your periods might be a little bit irregular when your body's getting used to it, but then you can see what happens. So people who love the Implanon absolutely love it, whereas some people have heavy, irregular periods. And you just get it taken out quite easily, but very much worth a shot. Um, and the other one is the Marina IUD, so the hormonal IUD, and um, so it's an intrauterine device. So the Marina is a T-shaped device. It sits inside your uterus. Um, it's 99.85% effective, so really effective, and it lasts for five years. The way the Marina works is it also has one hormone, so progestogen, and it slowly releases that hormone over the course of five years. Because it's sitting inside your uterus, it's a very low dose of one hormone only. And unlike the pill, which is kind of in your bloodstream, I guess, the marina is locally acting only. So when people have side effects from, for example, the pill, so when we talk about quote-unquote hormonal side effects, um, you know, the pill can make you know, your breasts bigger or it can make your skin really good or it might change your mood the marina is less likely to do that because it's only locally um, acting uh, hormone only. So the marina essentially thins out the lining of your endometrium of your uterus. So when you get it in, you get bleeding for the first couple of days to couple of weeks when it's thinning out. But then for the next five years, the overwhelming majority of people on the marina don't get any period at all or they have light periods only. Um, I myself have a marina, which I very openly talk about. In fact, I'm on my second marina myself and haven't had a period in a decade. And for wow. me, as someone with painful, heavy periods, yeah. it's a delight to not have yeah, one. Yeah, I can imagine. So it works really well for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the marina is actually the most popular method amongst female uh, doctors. Um, so it is your, or, you know, I guess doctors with a uterus who need contraception. So it's an extremely, extremely popular method. Um. Now, when I guess we talk about side effects and hormonal contraception, it's a really complex discussion and we spoke about the side effects with the pill, but ultimately a lot of the side effects can happen to anyone. The two side effects that people tend to ask about, which I anticipate in advance you're probably going to ask about, is mood and weight. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like the peop- the things people fear most, like I understand mood, but like people are terrified of weight gain. It's like the worst yeah. thing that could ever happen. Okay. <laughs> so with mood, there is some evidence that hormonal contraception, so specifically the pill mostly can affect your mood. Now, it's complicated. For other people, it makes their mood a lot better. If you're stopping your body from bleeding and so you're not losing iron so you're not iron deficient and you're not having heavy periods your mood might get a lot better if you've got peace of mind that you're not accidentally going to become pregnant your mood might get a lot better if your skin's clearing up your mood might get a lot better but by the same token for some people it might make their mood worse we often say look try it out for a bit if you have those side effects monitor a little bit most of the time it gets better but it is complex and the evidence around it is is complex and it's not 
entirely conclusive, but it definitely can happen. But there is actually no concrete evidence to say that hormonal um, contraception can make you gain weight. Now, in saying that, if someone comes to me and says, hey, I've been in the pill and I've gained five kilos, you know, who, you, know you should always believe what people know about their body. People are the experts in their own body. So we always emphasize there's so many different types of pills, there's so many different types of contraception. Trial them all out, see what works for you. Um, we're all very different and, and it's worth giving them all a shot to see what works. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would love to talk about the marina because it sounds like such yeah. a great option. However, like the only thing, honestly, that's ever stopped me is the insertion. I've heard just you hear horror stories and obviously that's the thing that people like to talk about when things go wrong, not when they actually necessarily work. So <laughs> are you going to like step us through that process and I suppose maybe like make it like, ah, oh, what's the word I'm trying to use? Like try and I don't know, break it down so it maybe doesn't seem as daunting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree. I agree. The biggest number one downside of the marina is the insertion. I completely mm -hmm. agree. Ways to get the marina in. One is awake, one is asleep. And that's probably the first thing to say is that we have options here. We're so lucky in Australia that you can get it awake and you can get it asleep. Now, asleep is often more expensive um, and there are quite a lot of places. I'm talking from Melbourne, but there's quite a lot of places all around Australia that do it under a light anesthetic. So you're asleep during it. Um, and for some people, that's excellent. You know, you've got the option. Getting it awake, I myself have put in many marinas. I've seen lots of marinas being put in. And, yeah, for some people it can be quite uncomfortable and for other people they're like, oh, that was it. Uh, so everyone has a different pain tolerance and everyone will react to it differently. So let's talk about what it means to get a marina in. Um, again, if you're asleep, you get a light anaesthetic, boom, <laughs> you're asleep, you wake up, it's in, done. Um, if you get it done awake, what will happen is it's very similar to a pap smear for anyone who's had one or a cervical screening test. So you get a speculum which goes inside the vagina, opens up the vagina, looks inside the cervix. You look in the cervix and you'll gently, gently dilate the cervix a little bit and then with the marina insertion device, which looks a lot like a fishing rod really, a tiny little one, you gently put the marina inside the uterus. Now, um, Everyone reacts to it differently and the general, the general uh, thing that people say afterwards is they go, oh, okay, that was a bad minute, but then it's not that bad. So it definitely will be uncomfortable for a minute or two. Um, what we usually say to people is have some Panadol and Nurofen beforehand. If your pain tolerance isn't so good, you can have a chat to your GP about getting stronger pain relief or something else um, to relax you before the marina insertion. Um, and again, everyone's different. For some people, they might say, look, for two minutes of discomfort, it feels like crampy period pain, it's worth it. Other people will say, oh, their pain tolerance is fine and you get it done. So very different for different people, but for sure a consideration. Um, if it is the thing that's stopping you, have a chat to your friendly local GP or family planning provider about some options for pain relief or getting it done asleep. There's lots of options out there. Yeah. Now... I want to – so the, obviously there's a hormonal marina. There's also the copper IUD, is that right? Is that one non-hormonal? Yes. Yeah. Correct, correct, correct. So the copper IUD is not on the PBS, so it's a bit more expensive, so it's not funded really in Australia. Um, it's 99.2% effective and it lasts for 10 years. Um, so similar to the marina, it's a small T-shaped device. It's got no hormones. Instead, it releases a very small amount of copper. And it means that the uterus, um, the uterus lining just 
really can't um, can't hold a fertilized egg and sperm. Um, the kind of hot tip about the copper IUD is it can actually be used for uh, contracept. Uh, sorry, sorry, for emergency contraception. So if you get the copper IUD put in within five days of um, protected intercourse, it works as emergency contraception, which is pretty cool. Um, it lasts for ten years, so quite a while. Uh, your periods often heavier initially but then you get normal periods on it so the copper IED doesn't stop your periods uh so if, you know for people who have heavy periods and want their periods to stop again that's safe then we'd say the marina IED uh the copper IED isn't as popular um you know in general I think because you know the marina IED is much more popular because it has some great side effects and again stops your periods but copper IED for consideration for people who have kind of strong family histories of um, you know things like breast cancer um, or who can't have hormones for a myriad of different reasons as well yeah 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 that's good to know so we've talked a lot about like these hormonal um, methods how do Mm -hmm. our hormones actually work and like how do we know if we have the balance right can we know (laughs) well (laughs) <laughs> well, that's a great question. Um, I guess the I guess the question I'd ask back is, what does that even mean, really? Yeah. You know. Um, now, now, importantly, there are lots of gynecological problems. There's things like polycystic ovarian syndrome. There's endometriosis. There's heavy periods. There's fibroids. There's cysts. There are so many different gynecological issues you can have. Um, so from a general point of view, if, if you're having some issues that are causing you distress, see a GP, see a gynecologist, have a chat about it and do some investigations. Um, but for the average person, I, I guess I'd argue, what does having your hormones, quote, imbalance actually mean? Um, we all have different cycles. They all work differently. And of course, when we're talking about things like fertility or getting pregnant or things that are causing issues, then that's something you should, of course, look into. Um, and I hope that's a vague enough answer for you. <laughs> yeah, but, no, um, I no, guess definitely. Probably a lot of what I'm trying to do is, yeah, I guess a lot of what I'm trying to do is, is debunk the whole idea of what is natural. But in saying that, if you're if you have a medical concern at all, absolutely see your local friendly GP. Yeah. Now, in your opinion. Is there a contraception mm-hmm. method that you think is best? Um, oh, absolutely not. <laughs> now, and I haven't said this yet, and obviously I'm very passionate about contraception, um, which is bleedingly obvious, but uh, every single contraceptive method has downsides. Everything has side effects, everything has consequences, and no method is perfect. Um, and no method is perfect for everyone. Everything is ultimately a bloody nuisance to have to deal with not getting pregnant <laughs> you know it, it, it is something to acknowledge that unfortunately if you are someone with a uterus who's having you know egg and sperm sex and you don't want to get pregnant contraception is something that you just need to deal with um it's frustrating and I acknowledge and I understand everyone's frustration in this and I you know want to say it loud and clear that we we get it 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 does it, it is annoying to have the burden of that to deal with But in saying that, I think the best contraceptive method is the best one that works for you. So for me, I'm very open about the fact that I have a marina. I had heavy, painful periods. And for me, and I'm terrible at taking tablets. (laughs) So for me, the marina was a really great option and one that I really like. Whereas for other people, 
you know, they might not want to be in any contraception or they would just prefer to, you know, they might not have penetrative sex that much and they'd prefer to use the emergency contraception or someone would prefer to use the pill or the implanon or get a vasectomy or withdrawal. It's all about having options and finding something that works for you. Yeah, yeah, that's great. For protection against STIs, there's condoms. What about for those So, like thinking about like LGBTIQ plus, like what is the other methods? Because obviously condoms are very are centered around a penis. Yeah. Uh, so these are really, really good questions. So um, of course, what we're speaking about at the moment is contraception to prevent a pregnancy. Um, mm-hmm. When we're talking about SDI prevention, it's a whole other kettle of fish. Now, some SDIs, uh, condoms will never work. So human papillomavirus and HSV, so herpes and HPV, they're skin to skin. Condom ain't going to stop that. So unfortunately, they won't work. Um, Condoms are great, but they're not perfect, but they are the best way we can prevent against SDIs. And I I can't emphasize how important they are, but I guess Mm -hmm. we we all know that as well. In terms of different types of sex and different types of practices, everyone's having lots of different things. Um, We're also talking about, you know, not just SDIs, but also things like HIV and hepatitis. Um, And that's a whole other conversation for another time. But the other things that we can talk about is there's also um, kind of um, internal condoms, which we haven't spoken about. I think what we have spoken about is mostly male condoms, but there's also kind of female condoms is what they're kind of colloquially known as and dental dams as well, which, um, you know, are not particularly used that much, but are possible. The other thing to emphasize in the SDI world is regular testing. So condoms are important, but just knowing your status, getting tested regularly, um, and also contact tracing. So making sure you're notifying old partners, um, through either anonymous ways or non-anonymous ways and regular testing just to know your risk as well. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely super important <laughs> and I know a lot of people that can be an intimidating experience but, like, it's so, so important. I know I've, I've had so many STI tests. I always have friends message me like, oh, my God, like, where do I go? Is the doctor going to judge me? I'm like, no, <laughs> like, you should be fine. <laughs> Just go and get it done. Like, it's worth it. You need to know. And, like, it's so important not only for yourself but for everyone that you're having sex with too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, talking about STIs again is a whole other conversation, but, you know, STIs are mostly asymptomatic, but they can have some pretty big consequences. So getting tested, being safe, best thing you can do. Yeah. So I'll, is there is there anything else um, that you'd like to touch on in regards to contraception and, yeah, just contraception? <laughs> I guess my final point is that a lot of it is about, you know, what sex you're having, what parts are involved, what partners are involved and your individual medical history and your individual, um, you know, questions and concerns. Everyone is different and it's all about knowing your options, finding a local friendly GP that you trust to talk about these things and making sure we're always, you know, keeping up to date. Um, These conversations are definitely not had enough and I wish we could have them more often I definitely think we generally speaking don't know enough about contraception we don't talk enough about them and there's a lot of misinformation out there um some resources that I'd highly recommend is family planning going on 1800myoptions.org.au fantastic there's contraceptionchoices.org 
Um, can't emphasize enough, Decolonizing Contraception is a fantastic website to look at reproductive justice. Um, and, yeah, it's important to, I guess, keep keep up to date with these things. But also, you know, these things are complex and having a chat to your local GP about these questions can be really important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I suppose always like going back and keeping in touch and seeing how you're going because obviously our bodies are always changing and our environments change and everything. So, you know, not just, I know I've got into the habit where I just stick on it and then I'm like, actually, I should probably go and have a, have a <laughs> chat and make sure this is still what is best for me because I know I can get into the habit of I just need my script and then like that's it (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. I guess the final thing to say as well is if contraception was used perfectly every single time people had sex there would still be six million unplanned pregnancies every single year so pregnancy is not perfect um it's still important that we have access to abortion services, um, you know, everywhere and making sure they're free, safe and legal services for this. Contraception is not perfect. Um, and also just understanding, you know, what option works best for you. A very complex area, but the be- the most important thing is options. Yeah, definitely. The more options we have, the better in everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah that's in great. Life, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll do Barides as well for that note. Yeah, actually. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. This has been such a great chat. I've honestly learned so much. There was so many myths that I've held like within me that I didn't even necessarily realise that, yeah, it was great to be able to break down because I know if I'm thinking that, I'm definitely not the only one out there. Yeah, no, definitely. There's a lot of myths and misconceptions about this and hopefully the sex ed in schools keeps getting better than it is. And I think we're slowly getting there, but still too slowly. But, um, you know, thanks for having me and I I really appreciate it. And thanks, I guess, for everyone who submitted questions. It's it's always, always a pleasure to answer these. As always, Shaggers, thank you for listening to today's episode. Please, if you can, leave a review as that means the absolute world to me. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you have any comments, questions or stories that you would like to share with That's Orgasmic, please send them either through my Instagram at That's Orgasmic or my email emilyduncanatthesealedsection.com. So thank you, Shaggers, and I will see you next week. (laughs)